Good morning, New Life. Oh, it is always a privilege uh, to be with you all, and I'm excited uh, to be here this morning. As uh, Pastor Rich mentioned, my name is Dre, and I serve as the Associate Pastor at New Life East, uh, and I'm excited to be with you all today. The last time I was here, uh, I made a big announcement. I let you all know that my wife, Christine, and I, we were pregnant with our first child, our baby girl, Ayana. Uh, yep. Uh, and uh, Ayana is here. Uh, she is six weeks old today. Uh, and so I brought, there should be a picture here um, of our little one. And uh, yes, she has been the light of our world. And so parents in the room, you know this feeling. She has completely turned our world upside down. She is the love of our life and uh, has been a joy for us over the last six weeks. And so I know many of you have been praying uh, for Christine and I and our family as we've na you know, been navigating this new journey. And so I just want to invite you to continue to pray for us as we continue to walk along the early journeys of uh, the lifelong reality of parenting that God has invited us into. And so uh, with that, uh, I want to uh, kick us off. We are uh, still in the middle of a series that we've been doing throughout the summer called Lexicon of Faith. Lexicon of faith. It's been our attempt to take a fresh look at ancient words, words that, that get at the core, the essence of what it means to live the spiritual life from the Christian perspective. And lexicon might not be a word that we use in our everyday lives, but it is a word that all of us are familiar with, right? No matter what profession you may find yourself in, some of you uh, work in the education profession, some of you work in the medical profession, uh, some of you love sports. In all of these arenas, in all of these spaces, there are words, particular phrases that really get at the essence, the heart of what that particular subject is all about. And so we've been doing that over the last few weeks. We've talked about uh, the word gospel. Uh, we talked about grace, sin, uh, faith, holy, blessed, all key words in the Christian lexicon. If you haven't listened to those sermons, I want to invite you to check those out at your convenience. But uh, my task today is to help us to wrap our minds and our hearts around uh, the word confession. Confession. A beautiful word, a challenging word that I think the Lord has much for you and I as we explore it together this morning. And so to do that, I want to invite you to turn to Psalms chapter 32. Psalms 32 uh, is where we'll be this morning, uh, verses 1 through 7. And so you can pull it out in your Bible, your apps, or it'll be on the screen uh, for you to follow along with me. Psalms 32, uh, verses 1 through 7. Hear the word of the Lord. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then... I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. That's a good word. Let's pray. 
So Spirit of the living God, would you breathe on us now? And Father, help us. Help us to embrace the gift of confession and the forgiveness and love that is for us in you when we do so. Father, be with us this morning. We pray all this in your good name. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen. Some of my favorite food in the world is German food. Anybody like German food? German food, absolutely delicious. And Germany has given us a lot of good gifts, including their food. There's things like uh, currywurst, which is this like sausage and French fry combination. If you haven't had it, you need to do that today to bless your life. Uh, right? Things like a sauerkraut, right? Really, really delicious. Bratwurst, right? Th these are really good, delicious foods that Germany has gifted us. These are good things that have come out of the country and the nation of Germany. Germany, if you didn't know, was also central, very pivotal and key uh, to what we know today as modern science and philosophy and mathematics. A lot of that gets its roots in the country and the culture of Germany. Germany was the birthplace of the Reformation. You and I today are in this room in the way that we are because of Martin Luther and what was a birth out of the Reformation uh, hundreds of years ago. Germany is a f fantastic country, a fantastic culture that has produced a lot of good in the world, a lot of beauty in the world, a lot for us to partake in and to enjoy. And yet at the very same time, this same country, this same nation, this same culture has also perpetrated great evil. Throughout the 1930s and the first half of the 1940s, the world saw the rise of the leader known as Adolf Hitler. And with the rise of Hitler also came the rise of the ideology of Nazism. And underneath that ideology of Nazism, the world saw one of the greatest campaigns of human injustice that we have ever seen. Throughout those decades, there were over six million plus Jewish men, women, and children that found themselves under the thumb of violence in Nazi Germany. Many of them found themselves abused, psychologically, physically, emotionally, found themselves tortured, Ultimately, many of them were killed, murdered, through all sorts of means. Gas chambers, guns to the head, gastration, rape. This, my friends, was one of, if not Germany's greatest failures as a country. That when Germany looks back on its past, it has to look at the reality of the Holocaust the ways in which that it damaged, significantly damaged millions upon millions of lives, not only in that time, but in the decades ensuing. And when you think about this incredible failure, this incredible injustice, that this nation that produced so much good, this failure that they also produced, the question before us this morning is, how, how does Germany deal with that? How do they deal with the reality of the Holocaust in their nation's history? How, how do they deal with this great failure in their history? And Germany over the years, over the decades actually, has taken some significant steps towards acknowledging 
not ignoring, not hiding away from, but confessing the reality of what they did and how it harmed so many lives. Throughout the years, we've seen Germany uh, pause to take uh, what, what has been described as public rights of repentance. Around events such as the liberation of Auschwitz and the end of World War II, there's iconography all throughout the country uh, that seeks to memorialize the Holocaust and really to highlight the reality of what took place at that time. All throughout the country, there are these famous stumbling stones, these small brass plaques that uh, uh, tend to be markers of, of, of places and, and, and areas where a lot of people either lost their lives, Jewish people lost their lives and many others, or where they found themselves last before they were departed. Germany understood and understands, although not perfectly, that if they are to ever get to the other side of that failure, if they are ever to, as a nation, embrace any semblance of healing, any semblance of restoration, any semblance of, of being able to, uh, to move forward in restoration, that it has to begin with them acknowledging their failure. That there can be no healing unless they are willing to confess what they had done. That if they continue, that if they were to ignore the realities of the Holocaust, ignore the realities of the injustice that they perpetuated, that there can be no path towards healing for themselves and others around them. So Germany has chosen to embrace that. And friends, the reality is that we live in a world today that is marked by much good. That, there, that when we look at human beings and the human life and the societies that we have built, Time and time again, we can see story after story of the capability of human beings to do so much good in the world, to love one another so well. I was at a wedding this past weekend, and uh, the, the, the mother of the bride was sharing with me. She lives in Houston, Texas, and she was sharing with me how uh, this, she just moved into this new neighborhood, and her fence is a little bit leaned over to the side. It's, it's kind of crooked. It's broken a little bit, and it's leaning over into her neighbor's side. Uh, of, the, of the yard. And so her neighbor across the street from her happens to be a carpenter. He happens to work in woodwork. And this neighbor heard about this dilemma with the fence and offered and said, hey, I would love to fix that fence for you. And so this neighbor spent three days, seven hours a day in the heat of Texas. I don't know if you know about Texas summer heat. We're talking about months at 100 plus degree weather, right? Not, not, not easy stuff. And he stood out there for seven hours a day for three days and fixed the fence and refused to receive any gifts or any money or anything like that. He simply wanted to bless his neighbor. What he told her was, hey, I don't want any of your money. Uh, Texans help Texans, neighbors help neighbors. That was the invitation. We do so much good in the world. We see this all around us, but at the very same time, friends, you and I know that while there is much good that we see in the world and that we do in the world, there is also great failure, great evil, sin that exists in the world. We see this through the reality of violence all around our world, through our words and through weapons. We see this through a lack of compassion that we often have in the world and that the world can be marked by, particularly a lack of compassion for the poor and the vulnerable in our world. Impatience, the ways in which we can tend to become easily annoyed and easily angered, especially by people who don't think about the world and share the ideologies that we have. The ways in which greed 
has so formed our world, this, this idea of hoarding all that we have and exploiting at all costs in order for great gain. Friends, we, our world is filled with great failure. We are, another way to put it, under the power of sin. And in many ways, we tend to live out our lives in the ways of sin. I like the way that Pastor Rich tends to define the reality of sin. What is sin? Sin, uh, at its essence, at its core, very simply, friends, is a failure to love. A failure to love. To love ourselves, to love God, and to love one another. And we often fail to love in our individual as well as our collective Lives. And the question that should be before each and every one of us this morning is what are the ways in which sin, a failure to love, what does that look like in our lives? What does that look like in your life? How have you failed to love? How have you sinned in your life? For some of you, maybe it's the ways in which you are impatient with your kids. Had a long day at work and their, their, their constant uh, invitation of questions brings out of you an impatience and a sense of, of annoyance with your kids. And the way you engage with them and respond to them is born out of this impatience. Maybe for you, it's the ways in which you've been ignoring your loved ones, that you've got more space for Instagram reels than you have for the eyes of your wife or husband. Maybe it's the ways in which you've mismanaged your finances. And the ways in which this idea of, of greed and self-gratification and self-desire has so formed the ways in which you engage with what you do with your money. You're more interested in receiving than giving out of the resources that God has blessed you with. Maybe for some of you this morning, it's the ways in which the realities of sexuality have formed you in a way to live outside of the desires and the love of God. And maybe for some of us, it's the ways in which we tend to ignore the poor especially in our city, walking past our neighbors on the subway with contempt, no sense of their humanity and who they are and the fact that they belong in our world and are deserving of dignity and love. What does sin look like in your life? How have you failed to love to this morning, friends? We all have failed to love. We all have failed to walk in the ways of Jesus. And so the question before each and, of this, uh, each and every one of us this morning is, what do we do with that? Well, what do we do with our failures? How should we respond to them? What, what, what do we do with the failures in our lives and the ways in which we tend to do that? And I believe that what we see in our passage today and what we read throughout the pages of Scripture invites us into moving towards the practice of confession. That, that if we are to move towards any kind of healing in ourselves and in the world around us, around the realities of our failures, that we have to begin to embrace and move towards this practice of confession. And when I talk about confession, here's, what conf here's a simple way to think about confession. Confession, another way to think about it, is simply acknowledgement. It, 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 it is a, a commitment to not ignore, to not hide away from, but to acknowledge our failures, to acknowledge our wrongs, to take responsibility for what we have done. And friends, acknowledging our shortcomings is necessary to experience the full liberation that God intends for us in his forgiveness and his love. But we often fail to move towards this. 
fail to embrace the gift of confession. It's a challenging reality for many of us. And it's a problem that we face on a regular basis. Is the degree to which we are willing to move towards the practice of confession in our everyday life. And there are a number of reasons that keep us away from that. Things that have their grip on us that keep us away from the beauty and the gift that confession could have for us. Some of us are gripped by the reality of fear. Scared to death for anybody to know anything about the failures that we have perpetuated in our lives. For some of you, when you think about your sin, when you think about your failure in the world, there is a deep shame that overcomes you. This sense of, of, of shame, this sense of, of not wanting anyone to know about what you have done less, they see you any differently than they see you now. Guilt can keep us away from confession. Pride can be a reality that keeps us gripped away from the realities of confession and the gift and the healing that is for us in that. It reminds me of a time when I was a young kid. I grew up in East New York, Brooklyn. Amen. And... Um, <laughs> Amen, indeed. I grew up in East New York, Brooklyn, and as a New Yorker, one of the things that we all know is everybody in every neighborhood has their, has their favorite Chinese food takeout spot. Everybody has their favorite Chinese takeout spot, and in my neighborhood, I had my favorite Chinese takeout spot, China Panda, never forget it. And uh, one of my favorite things to get from China Panda uh, was uh, chicken wings and fried rice. That was my favorite thing to get. And I know some of my brothers and sisters are saying, Pastor Dre, that is not real Chinese food. For, for, forgive me, that's all I knew. That's all I knew. That's all I knew. That's all I knew. But I would love to get my chicken wings and my fried rice from China Panda. And one day, uh, my brother, my older brother, he bought some uh, food, some chicken wings and fried rice, and he brought it home, and he ate some, and he put it in the fridge, and I was playing my video games, and all of a sudden, I got hungry, so I decided, let me check the fridge. I wonder what's in the fridge, and so I opened the fridge, and lo and behold, the blessings of the Lord <laughs> were upon me, and there was a plate of chicken wings and fried rice with barbecue sauce and ketchup on the wings. And so I decided I was going to indulge. And so I pull out the chicken wing fried rice. So I get to eat in and go back to my video games. And later on that night, my brother yells out, somebody ate my chicken wings and fried rice. And so he tells my mom and dad that his chicken wings and fried rice were missing. My mom and dad call my siblings out to the living room. And they begin to ask us, hey, who ate Ricky's chicken wings and fried rice? And in any typical household with multiple siblings, my baby brother, Corey, he says, Daddy, it wasn't me, it wasn't me, it wasn't me. My middle brother, Omar, is looking like, I don't know what is going on right now. And of course, me, the culprit, I'm standing there, trying to put on a poker face <laughs> with no intention of confessing to eating these chicken wings and fried rice. And in that moment, friends, I, can, I never forget it, as much as my dad would invite and was trying to get us to, and particularly me, because I was the culprit, to confess, hey, I did that. I, I failed to love my brother. I took something that didn't belong to me. Friends, I was so overcome with shame. I was so overcome with fear. Of what, what would my dad do? What, 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 what would my brother do? And that fear and that shame that I had had me in this place of agony. 
And I, I just couldn't get myself to confess, couldn't get myself to acknowledge, couldn't get myself to admit. And that kind of grip, that kind of, 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 of grip that fear and shame and, and pride and guilt can have over us, friends, can keep us away from the kind of healing that God wants for us. I didn't trust in that moment that if I were to confess that I would be met with love. I had no trust that if I were to confess in that moment that I would be met with forgiveness. I thought that what was in the other side of confession was wrath, that what was on the other side of confession was pure punishment, that what was on the other side of confession was hatred for what I had done. And friends, that kept me from the gift of acknowledging my failure and allowing myself to walk in the freedom of forgiveness and love for my own life. Friends, confession is challenging because it pulls us in the opposite direction of where we often find ourselves. We often find ourselves standing in the, in, 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 in the reality of fear, in the reality of shame, in the reality of, gift, of guilt, and confession is trying to move us towards forgiveness and move us towards love. And so we often forfeit the gift of confession because we are trying to hide. And I wonder this morning, how many of you are forfeiting the gift of forgiveness, the gift of love that confession has for you because you're hiding. You don't trust that on the other side of your confession, there is love. You have a hard time believing that on the other side of your confession will be forgiveness. And so you hide, you cover up, you don't confess, you don't acknowledge. And friends, this brings with it great agony, great pain. My hope for us today is that we would come to see that confession is the path toward healing. That on the other side of confession is a type of healing, a type of goodness that God would want for you and I if we would step towards this gift that he has given us. And so it would be helpful this time to think about, you know, have a little bit of a working definition. When I think about confession, here's my attempt at trying to put some language around, some words around, a definition around what I believe confession is. What, what, what do I think confession is? What, what is confession at its core, at its essence? Confession is this. Confession is the liberating practice of acknowledging our sin that moves us away from shame and towards God's forgiving love. I'm going to say that again. Confession is the liberating practice. By liberating, I mean free, freedom. It is the liberating practice of acknowledging our sin that moves us away from shame, away from fear, away from pride, and towards God's forgiving love for us. And friends, this is what we see in our passage today uh, through the life of David. Psalm 32 is David's, uh, uh, we, we are being invited into David's personal prayer journal. This is him uh, giving a contemplative prayer, reflective prayer on a time in his life where he had great failure. In the book, uh, in, in, in the Bible, David is one of the well-known characters in the scriptures. He was the king of Israel. And the Bible uh, describes David as a man after God's own heart. That David was a man who loved God and desired uh, to the best of his ability uh, to obey God by uh, adoring his, his law and living in the commandments of God. David loved the Lord. This is how the Bible describes David. 
And at the very same time, this man, who the Bible describes as a man after God's own heart, also committed adultery and murder. That David was, was capable of great good, and yet at the same time, he was capable of great failure. And friends, this is a good reminder for you and I this morning. It reminds us that we are not the, tums, the sum total of just good or just evil or just failure, that you and I, each and every day, that we are a mixed bag of those two realities, that we are capable of great good, and at the same time, we are capable of great failure. And so David, the background of this moment, David is contemplating, he's reflecting on this time where, where, where he had done something wrong, he had failed, and he didn't confess, and, and, and after a while he recognized, man, I, I, I have to go to the Lord, I, I have to, to, to confess my transgressions and, and know that the Lord will forgive me. David, as the king of Israel, uh, found himself in a position of abusing his power. He saw this woman by the name of Bathsheba who he thought was really attractive and David uses his power as king to draw her unto himself and engages with her in sexual intercourse. And after David has sex with Bathsheba, she ends up and winds up getting pregnant. And after Bathsheba gets pregnant, David now knows, wow, I'm, I'm, in, the, I'm in a pickle here. I, I, I've, I've got to make sense of this moment. What am I going to do? And David's response at that moment was to orchestrate the death of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. So David uses his power now to, to, to see to it that Uriah is killed. And in that moment, friends, David is in the middle of this reality of failure. And when, he's in, and, and when trying to figure out what to do with it, David decides at all costs he was going to hide. And his efforts to hide was causing him great agony and causing great agony for the people around him. Look at the passage with me again. Look what David says. David says, when I kept silent, he says, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Friends, David, David's attempt to hide and, and, to, and to, 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 to not walk towards this reality of confession was, caught, was, was not good for his body nor his soul that he was wasting away in the middle of that moment. And friends, I wonder how many of us are wasting away, are overcome with the agony of hiding, overcome with grief, over, overcome with pain because we refuse to confess, to acknowledge our failures. And I believe this morning that there are three realities that we see in David's confession that I think will be helpful for us as we think about what it looks like to move towards the way of confession. Three ways, three realities about confession that I think are important to highlight. And then I want to talk a little bit about the ways in which we can actually move towards this. What does it mean to embrace, to embody a confession in our own life? And the first is the fact that confession is personal. C confession is personal. We, 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 we see this in uh, what David is doing here. D David says... David says, then, then I acknowledge my sin to you. He's talking about God. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And here's, here, here, here's how David reflects on God's response to his confession. He says, I'm going to confess my transgressions to the Lord. And God, you forgave the guilt of my sin. 
That, 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 that what David was met with on the other side of his confession was the forgiving love of God. Friends, confession is personal. By that, what I mean is that confession is a safe place to bring the totality of who we are. That, that we can bring all of our success and, most importantly, our failures to God. That God wants to know the sum total of, of who we are and what is happening in our lives. God has made a way for you and I to connect with him personally. You are his child, and he longs for you to draw to him in, as he draws near to you. It, it reminds me of a, re, of, of a reason why I believe counseling, right? Going to see a professional counselor and being able to engage in counseling, to share the challenges that, that we are facing, the things that are deeply aching our souls. The reason why I think that kind of a space is so powerful is because of how personal it is. When you go to a counselor, you, you know, for the most part, that in that moment, this is a safe space for me to bear the full reality of my soul. That, that when I expose all of who I am and all of what is happening on the inside of me, that I will be met with love, that I will be met with, with patience, that I, that I will be met with forgiveness. There, there's a, a level of trust in that moment that really embodies us and, and, and enables us to be able to freely confess. And friends, what, what confession is inviting you and I into is to go see the divine counselor. It's to go see the God who loves us and to bear the full weight of who we are, failures and all, and trust that we will be met with forgiveness and love. Because here's the reality, friends. We cannot be fully loved unless we are fully known. We cannot be fully loved unless we are fully known. And many of us are keeping ourselves from the full love that God would want to pour out on us because we are hiding parts of ourselves. We are seeking to cover up parts of ourselves, particularly our failures. But what God says is, I want you to expose your failures to me and trust that on the other side of that confession, on the other side of you acknowledging your failure to me, you will be met with my love, my forgiveness, my mercy, and my grace for you. Friends, that is the invitation that confession has for you and I this morning. That confession is an invitation to the love of the Father. But not only is confession personal, but confession is also communal. C confession is communal. Here's what I mean by that. That there is a corporate nature to confession. That, that we confess as a collective and within a collective. That, that, that we do this each and every week. We did it this morning. That when we pray our prayer of confession, when we pray our prayer of generosity, that's not just a, 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 a ritual tradition. That, that is us trying to orient our lives around the collective pra uh, practice of confession as the community of God, of raising up our voices and acknowledging our failures as a collective body to God and to one another. C confession is communal because Christianity, friends, is not a solo endeavor. The at the core of Christianity, it it's being fueled by this reality of community, that God has drawn us to himself, that there is a personal relationship that we have with God, and, and the gospel at the core of it is that God is not only drawing a people unto himself, but he is forming a brand new people, that he is forming a new nation, that he is forming a new kingdom, that there is a communal reality to the kingdom of God, and friends, confession, the practice of confession is embodied in that communal reality, that, that this interconnectedness around that. 
But it can be difficult. It can be difficult. Because confessing in community, oftentimes, we have to think about the ways in which, how are we met on the other side of that? Hear me, friends. I'm not saying to go confess to just any and anybody. Right? Many of us have confessed our sins in in trust. We've we've moved towards that and been deeply wounded and harmed by others because of that. Some of us have, have, have bared our souls to friends, to family members, to pastors, and have been betrayed deeply. And so I recognize that there are deep wounds there, and and we have to be careful about how we engage in this communal practice of confession. But hear me, friends, it is still a practice that God desires for us to move towards in wisdom and in love. And we see that through David. It doesn't say it directly in the passage, but if you know the background of David's story, if you look at 2 Samuel, David, when David moved towards confession, remember, David was hiding. David moved towards confession when the prophet Nathan came to him. The prophet Nathan came to David and told David about his sin and said, hey, you have grieved the heart of God. And it's in front of the prophet Nathan that David said, I've got to confess this thing. I've got to acknowledge this thing. And so not only was David confessing to God, but David was also confessing to his brother Nathan, to the prophet Nathan, and letting Nathan know, yes, I have sinned against God and I have sinned against my neighbor. Friends, confession is necessary for us to one another, that there is this power that God has for us in the communal reality of confession. It reminds me of a time in my life in 2015 uh, when I was uh, struggling significantly with lust in my own life, the sin of lust in my own life, and ways in which that the reality of pornography and other things had a grip on my life. I couldn't quite shake it. And in the middle of all of that, one of the key realities that was going on in my life at that time is that I was hiding at all costs. Here I was, a young, early 20s, mid-20s, in Bible college, studying to be a pastor, serving at my local church, trying to make sense of this call that I think that, that I believe that God had placed in my life uh, in, in, to, to move towards vocational pastoral ministry. And yet, behind closed doors, I was struggling with deep lust. And friends, the, the, the thought of someone finding out about the things that I was doing was deeply agonizing, deeply painful. I couldn't make sense of how I could possibly expose this and on the other side of this be met with anything good. And one day I find myself in the middle of a small group at my church at the time, small group of men. And in this small group, on the first night of the small group, the invitation was for all of us to confess. Hey, if, if, if we're going to move together as brothers, we, we've got to be honest with one another. So w- what are we all holding? And so one by one, each man in that room began to confess their sins and confess things that was going on in their lives, ways that they were failing to love. And then they finally got to me. And I said, Lord, how am I going to do this? Nobody knows anything about what was going on in my life at that time. If I confess in this moment, the pastors that are in this room who I've told that I want them to mentor me and help me to move towards, what are they going to think of me? Am I, am I going to disqualify myself from, the, from, from any future of being in pastoral ministry if I confess right now? If, if I confess right now, am I going to have any place to be able to serve and to lead in this church that I love? If I confess right now, how are they going to look at me? What are they going to think about me? And by God's grace, and the leading love of these brothers. I confess that night. I openly exposed my deepest, darkest secret. 
friends, on the other side of that confession, I was met with deep love, with deep conviction, with deep forgiveness, with deep compassion. And friends, that was the beginning of my journey towards healing, the beginning of my journey towards overcoming. It began with me acknowledging my failures and not only acknowledging it to God, but acknowledging it to community. Because friends, I had been trying to figure this thing out on my own, but because of the love of a community that not only heard my confession and met me with love, but lovingly came around me and helped me to put some practical steps around how I can begin to get victory over sin in my life, I was able to begin to walk in the fullness of the love of God for me. And so friends, confession is communal and it's important that we engage in confession with one another. I love how Richard Foster captures this. Richard Foster is an author and he says this about confession in a communal sense. He says, confession is a difficult dip- discipline for us because we all too often view the believing community as a fellowship of saints before we see it as a fellowship of sinners. But if we know that the people of God are first a fellowship of sinners, we are free to hear the unconditional call of God's love and to confess our needs openly before a brother or sister. We know we are not alone in our sin. The fear and pride that cling to us like barnacles cling to others also. We are sinners together. In acts of mutual confession, we release the power that heals. Our humanity is no longer denied, but transformed. Friends, there is a transformative power that God wants to release in our lives through confessing our sins to one another. Confession is communal. But we also see that confession is good for the soul. It's good for the soul, friends. Remember, David said, my my bones were wasting away. That that his body, he was holding uh, all of this in his body and it was having deep effects on his physical state and his spiritual state. That that, That his life was wasting away as he was trying to hide away from the sin. But in his confession, friends, David found love. David found forgiveness. David found blessing. Look, 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 at, look again at how he opens up the psalm. He says, blessed is the one, blessed. When we think about blessing, we don't often think about confession as being connected to blessing. But David says that, that those who confess, who, 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 who bear their transgressions, they are blessed because they are forgiven. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. Friends, in confession, we find healing. That the pain that we are holding deep in our spirit, deep in our soul, the healing that God wants for you and I is found in our ability to engage in the practice of confession. It's like that family member who just, every time you try to invite them to go to the doctor, They say, I don't want to go to the doctor because if I go to the doctor, then they're going to tell me I've got cancer. If I go to the doctor, they're going to tell me I've got high blood pressure. If I go to the doctor, as long as I don't go to the doctor, then I won't have high blood pressure. No, you have high blood pressure. (laughs) Make no mistake about it. You have high blood pressure. You just need the doctor to confirm it and begin to prescribe some diagnosis that can move you towards healing. And many of us are like that family member. Ah, well, you know, if I don't, if I don't say anything, then it'll just kind of, it'll go away. If, if, I don't, if I don't deal, and friends, that is not the path to healing. 
that we have to acknowledge, we have to confess. And in that acknowledgement, in that confession, we can begin to move towards this healing that God has for our souls, this healing balm that he has for us. So the question now is, how do we move towards confession? What are ways that we can begin to embody that? What can we do to begin to really live out the practice of confession in our own lives? Three ways that I believe that we can move towards the way of confession. Three ways. The first is to grieve. That friends, to move towards confession, we have got to have a healthy emotional response to our failures. That, 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 that when we think about our sin and the ways in which uh, our, fi- our failures harm ourselves, the way in which they harm God, and the way in which they harm one another, that that should bring a healthy grief, a sorrow over our sin in our lives. And many of us are so stuck in pride and don't want to really deal with the realities of the ways in which our failures are affecting us and affecting those around us that we refuse to grieve. We refuse to properly acknowledge the depths at which our failures can bring pain to others. Friends, where are you failing to grieve this morning? Where where, where have you sort of brushed aside your failures, brushed aside your sin, and not really come to grips with the deep grief of your sin? Friends, it is our sin that brought Jesus to the cross. It is our sin that had him nailed in shame on that cross. It is our sin that shed his blood that day. Our sin brings deep pain. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That then the other side of sin is death. Friends, when we think about our sin, when we think about our failures, that grief should be an appropriate response that we have towards it. And that grief is the beginning of us being able to not only uh, recognize the deep pain of our sin, but move towards acknowledging it in the world around us, to God and to one another. Which leads me to my second point, acknowledge. We have to grieve our sin, and we have to acknowledge our sin, friends. And if we're going to move towards confession, it requires that we not hide from our failures, but that we acknowledge our failures, that we recognize and take full responsibility for our failures to ourselves and to one another. And many of us, in our lack of acknowledging our failures, we are impacting negatively our relationships. I wonder how lack of acknowledgement in your life is impacting your relationships, impacting your relationship with your kids, refusing to acknowledge the failure that you had of not loving them well, of of refusing to acknowledge your failure to your spouse, to your friends. Friends, this morning, God's invitation to us is to acknowledge our failures, to confess our sin so that we can bring, so that we can experience the healing love of God for ourselves and bring that healing love to those who we have harmed. And lastly, friends, the invitation is for us to receive, that we have to grieve our sin, we have to acknowledge our sin, but friends, and to move towards the way of confession is to receive the forgiveness and the love of God that is for you and I today. That to confess requires deep trust. That we have to trust that on the other side of our acknowledgement, on the other side of our confession, the love and the forgiveness and the mercy and the grace of God is for us. 
that the promise of God that we believe it to be true, that if we would confess our sin, God would be faithful to forgive us. And many of us, that, that place of trust, we find it very difficult. Maybe you're like me and you, you find it hard to believe that on the other side of your confession that there can be any goodness. But I'm here to tell you this morning, friends, that God is trustworthy and he is true. And if he said it, he will do it. And so if you confess, you can bet, you can believe that God will indeed meet you with love and forgiveness and grace. And so friends, I want to remind us this morning that confession brings joy and not shame. That confession brings life and not death. And here's why. Confession is a place of joy and it is a place of life because Jesus has already taken on the cross of death and the cross of shame. The scriptures tell us that, 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 he, that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He endured death and he despised the shame. The shame of being nakedly hung on a cross as a public spectacle on our behalf. That Jesus took on our shame that Jesus took on our punishment of death, and in doing so, through confession, has the gift of life, the gift of joy, the gift of love, and the gift of forgiveness for you and I. Friends, confession shows us the greatness and the goodness of our God. Bernard of Clairvoy, he says it this way, to shame our sins, he blushed in blood. He closed his eyes to show us God. Let all the world fall down and know that none but God such love can show. Let's pray together.